Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hey guys, we are back so soon this time. <laughs> and if you didn't listen to part one of Heather's story, please go do so before listening to this one as I'm going to just jump right into where we left off. Heather and her family had just found out that they had lost their child slash grandchild for good. And Heather started to really question all of this adoption stuff. She also started to really question her faith, and that is where we will pick up. Here's Heather. I, we didn't go back to church for a while. I started, uh, I started really praying and seeking God and and studying Scripture, and just questioning for years, and um, questioning the the damage from adoption and how it how it has affected my whole family. I, my questions really were: How did I allow it? because this was such an unnatural thing for all of us to do. Why did I think this was okay? How come I didn't see the, the APs, the adoptive parents, for who they were? Why didn't I challenge the attorney when she said we couldn't get her back? Why didn't anyone tell me my daughter would be wrecked from this? I'm a mother. I should have known this. My whole family has been devastated by this. I have two other daughters. This, this continues, you know, this just continues. There's fallout from it. So I started, I started uh, praying more. I started seeking God's word. I started um, studying God's word. Um, I was angry with God trying to figure out where in the world. I've always been told that adoption is beautiful and glorious and, and God's in it. And I just didn't feel it. I just couldn't understand it. So um, in that sorrow and watching the pain that my daughter was walking through and my whole family, I also started studying trauma. On, I, I needed to because I didn't know how to fix my daughter. And my daughter is smart and she's driven. And um, I, I just, I didn't know how to fix my daughter. So um, I started studying um, trauma and PTSD, and of course, therapy came with all of this. We, we, uh, all of us have had therapy. And she said that they continue and will continue to need it forever. I mentioned to her that the hundreds of people I have talked to over the years about their adoption stories, be it adoptees, first families, or adoptive parents, that I had only heard about four horror stories like this, maybe not even this horrible. And their story is horrible. Don't get me wrong. So I mentioned that adoption, at least nowadays, is becoming less stigmatized and open adoptions are pretty common. I considered those stories to be thankfully rare these days, but Heather disagreed. It's not rare. It's not a rare story. I think the, the rareness of it, the, the, um, the difference in the story is that uh, my daughter had parents that walked through this with them and 
and saw this happening, saw this take place, um, understood what was going on. So I started, you know, going to therapy and uh, making connections with other other adoptees and birth moms and identifying that we all had the same issues. We all had the same issues. I started to um, reach out and listen to um, adoptive, uh, well, not birth moms who had been um, in this for decades and, and the ramifications of it. Um, I, I needed to because I had to prepare myself because every day was new. And I started understanding the long, lifelong uh, trauma and, and consequences to relinquishing a baby. After I started, I mean, I really started digging into um, other people's stories and listening and identifying with them. And there's so many of us in the same situation we've gotten here in, in different ways, but we're all in the same boat. Of course, by all, she means the women, families, adoptees that she has spoken to that have had traumatic adoption experiences. She was looking specifically for others who have had similar experiences to hers. It's confirmation bias, and we all do it. I asked her if she was talking about folks who had open adoption agreements that closed unexpectedly, or if it was folks who were in open adoptions as well. In the closed adoptions, the grief is great. In open adoptions, the grief is great. Open adoptions that are working, the grief is still great. Adoptees that are, have been in open adoption are, are coming, up and, uh, coming out and saying, it was confusing. I, I'm torn. You know, just all their testimonies of what they're going through and, and not just new birth moms, but older birth moms and older adoptees and grown-up adoptees and um, just started really researching what this was all about. I am not going to take away the pain and suffering that all of these folks have experienced. I know that they are out there. Like I said, I have heard a handful of these kinds of stories myself without actually seeking these stories out. And it is heartbreaking, to say the least. I also don't want anyone to take away from the beautiful stories that others have with their adoptions. First mothers and adoptees alike. There is room for both, just like any childhood outside of adoption. Some have very traumatic experiences, and some have fantastic experiences, and most lie somewhere in between. That is the art of it, isn't it? (laughs) Through all of this research, Heather had learned something about her past as well, and she has some interesting insight to how that has possibly affected her to this day. Before I was born, my mother relinquished a baby in the BSC, the baby scoop era. The baby scoop era was a horrible time in our history here in the United States that started at the end of World War II and ended in the 70s. So from approximately 1940s through the 1970s. And it is estimated that up to 4 million mothers in the United States surrendered newborn babies to adoption. 2 million during the 1960s alone. They considered these women who became pregnant outside of wedlock to have psychological deficiencies and therefore... The dominant viewpoint was that the large majority of unmarried mothers were better off being separated by adoption from their newborn babies. According to some psychologists, in most cases, adoption was presented to the mothers as the only option and little or no effort was made to help the mothers keep and raise the children. So most of these babies were literally taken from their mothers without consent. 
which of course caused trauma, depression, anxiety, and a whole slew of other mental and emotional problems. The babies are now in their late 40s to 80s and either have no idea they were adopted, are just finding out through genealogy, or have known but have no access to their records or original birth certificates or their first families. So my my biological mother, my mother, um, had a, a pregnancy in her teenage years. She was 17. She was 16 or 17. And was forced to relinquish her, her first child. That's what happened during the 60s and 70s. And uh, then uh, my mother got pregnant with me. She relinquished her first child, which was a son, and um, then got pregnant with me and married my dad. And she got pregnant first, married my dad. And uh, for myself, um, my, my mother died when I was six. She died when I was six. She was 27, and she just got sick and, and died just within a couple of days. Um, so for me... Um, I, my, my purpose going backwards to my mother is the fact that those questions were just, there was two questions I couldn't get out of my mind. How did I let this happen? Why did I think this was right to do? I mean, my, this is my granddaughter. She's gone. And my daughter is damaged and I'm a mother. I have three children. How did I let this happen? So um, through therapy and very specific therapy that was offered um, in some of these groups, uh, references were given to me, resources, um, I recognized through this therapy that my, my birth, my, the pregnancy with my mother with Moon was very traumatic from the loss of her son. That was uh, a loss that I had not re- recognized. It was, it's pre-verbal trauma, epigenetics and pre-verbal trauma. So uh, working with a therapist that knows and understands epigenetics and passed down DNA, um, passed down traits and emotions, uh, we recognized some things that were very traumatic to me. It was my own. It was my own trauma. It wasn't my from my mom's trauma created my trauma. And so the pre-verbal trauma I had was my mother um, being her, her next pregnancy, um, the disconnect with my mom, the uh, memories, the post-traumatic stress she had, uh, all of those things uh, created me and the stress of, and trauma to me. And then, and then when I was born uh, and she died you know it was it's all preverbal trauma it's young not remembered not recalled trauma so that trauma passed down to me and uh that question was answered for me by therapy was how did this happen this happened because there's a very important bond between a mother and a child that should never be broken it should never be broken when they're pregnant with them because the stress cause is caused there. And then when they know that they have to relinquish or they do relinquish, there's that bond is broken. So my bond with my mother was broken because she was broken from her relinquishment of her first child. So then my bond with my daughters have all been broken 
was the importance of the bond and the child. So I recognized uh, that, that because of one relinquishment, and it was forced, and she had no choice, it created a generational continued pattern of the broken bond, which created the bound, there was no boundary for myself to understand that relinquishing my granddaughter was an okay thing. And that was broken with my own daughter. The bond that I was supposed to have with my daughters was ever so slightly broken enough that that pattern repeated itself. Okay, are you ready for your science lesson? (laughs) Epigenetics. I have talked about it before on previous episodes as it fascinates me, and I want to make sure I am giving my children the best possible chance of thriving as individuals. A simple way to describe it from whatisepigenetics.com is the study of biological mechanisms that will switch genes on and off. Some important points. Epigenetics controls genes, which is achieved through nature and nurture. Epigenetics is literally everywhere. What you eat, drink, how you sleep, where you live, who you interact with, exercise, aging, all of these things and more can cause chemical modifications around genes that, over time, can turn them off or on. Epigenetics is what makes each of us unique, and some epigenetic change can absolutely be inherited and passed down, as Heather mentioned. However, the good news is epigenetics is reversible. There was a published 2006 study done on just this by Bob Weinhold called Epigenetics, the Science of Change. I will post a link to that study in this episode's description. Bottom line, I'm not saying that epigenetics isn't at work here. I believe that it is, or at least it can be. What I'm saying is that it is not the end-all be-all for any of us. So that's where I'm at in my own story and my own recovery, I also have a lost brother. He, I've met him two years ago. I met him. I did. We are reunited, but um, life is tough for him. He, he struggles with the, the typical common um, adoption trauma and relationship issues. I asked Heather what specifically she meant, and she did tell me. However, she didn't want me to include that in this episode. I will tell you that I don't see or agree with her summarization as she stated that his specific issues are very common in adoptees. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it is not my experience. Those things are common for adoptees. They don't realize that it's because of their separation from their mother because nobody talks about it. And that's a hard thing for that age. They're already 50, 52 years old and They've been living this life and and they've just not they've just not known anything different. I have done a lot of research on my own, and I've asked for information on studies done that state these things, and I haven't found the science to back it up. I've also not come across this in 
all of my years of working with and talking to and personally knowing adoptees myself. I don't know if it's more common than any other person growing up in a traumatic biological home. So are these things due to adoption or are they due to trauma in general? Like I said, I am consistently doing research and reading studies and articles about adoption because I want to make sure to provide the best opportunities for my kids. And I also want to make sure I am sensitive and supportive to their first families as well. And for all of you adoptive parents out there, may I encourage you to do the same? You're not the common adoptive parent that's wanting to know all this because it's very threatening and fearful for, for adoptive parents to think they, this way and want. So it's it's a very different um, it's very different when adoptive parents. I'm I'm not against adoptive parents. The parents that have children now just need to do the right thing and be educated, and give the give their kids the best they can. My concern is that we're now doing adoptions that don't necessarily happen need to happen. Okay, this I can get on board with. As I stated in part one, I do believe it is important for the biological mother to be completely informed of all of her options so that she can make an empowered decision. Heather is on the board of a group called Saving Our Sisters, or SOS, that intervenes when a woman is considering placing her child for adoption. SOS um, started with one mom who um, relinquished her child. She was in her 40s. SOS really is... um, a place for moms in crisis who, who don't want to give up their babies or are having second thoughts. Um, sometimes they're in the hospital and, and they are confused and they reach out to us and they need help. They don't have an attorney. We all know because we've all experienced what attorneys will do for their money. And we've also experienced what adoptive parents may do willingly, unconsciously, um, on purpose, intentionally, unintentionally to allow that, that mom to make the obligatory choice, feel very obligated to, to do what she said she was going to do when her heart knows differently. So we are here to help moms find resources, stay with their, their infants. We help them, a lot of times we help them in the, in the hospital and we are there in seconds. I mean, we are there in, in minutes. In minutes we have people there at the hospital advocating for their wishes. Because what happens is the second thing, my second question that I asked, I asked and was answered, was answered in, by my therapist. He also has a book out that's wonderful and I'd love to reference it for any adoptive parent. But what also happens in the hospital, and, and attorneys know this, everybody knows this, doctors knows it, knows it, science has come so far in psychology that and I notice this with my, my own daughter. See, it's different when I can sit back and look at things from my perspective and not being the birth mom, right? Uh, when, when anyone is in a state of shock or a, a very um, stressful situation or a trauma, your brain, your brain shuts down. The thinking process, the thinking part of your brain, brain shuts down and it actually even closes off the ability to speak. So giving birth is a trauma to every mother. I gave birth to mine. I, I love all my kids, but I'm telling you that, and I kept all my kids, but I'm telling you, I, my third daughter, I thought they were going to not let her go home with me. I was so traumatized by that birth. And so it's a, it's a trauma. 
your brain shuts down. You don't cognitively think correctly. And you sign papers in in a hospital to relinquish your parental rights. And on top of that, you have the the prospective adopted parents pre-matched birth before birth. They feel obligated to fulfill that because they feel sorry for them. They feel like they're letting them down and they've befriended them. So you have that. And then you have the crisis of, I don't, now I don't know what to do. Um, My car broke down. I can't get to work. I have to give up my baby. I don't know what else to do. So there's a lot of things we need to change. And adoptive parents, adoptive parents need to be on the lines with us because I know um, that there's a lot of people out there that just desperately want babies. I've seen it; it's all over the internet, and and this is what this is what's happening. I would love to talk to every mother to keep their baby at least go home with their baby and bond with their baby. It takes. I, I would tell you every mother that gave up their baby probably would keep their baby if they were allowed to take that baby home for a week and have their mind get back to a normal state and their body and their hormones get back to normal state. Possibly. Although if you listen to my episode number eight, Marianne's story, she did go home with her son and she still felt like placing him was the right choice. My middle son's parents also had him for a few days with no adoption plan in place at all. And they also decided there was no way they could do this. And they called an agency after the fact. And those two are just off the top of my head. However, I do think that it is important to give the biological mother more time to change her mind if she wishes. I don't know what the appropriate amount of time should be, though, as everyone's just so different. Maybe I'll have a better understanding after I give birth in November. So, TBD? (laughs) Heather thinks it should be 30 days. What is wrong with 30 days for a mother to decide whether she wants to forever relinquish her child and never have her child in her life? But we have legislators that are cutting that time in every state. Every state should have 30 days. But I'm telling you, the reason they don't is because then the mother would keep their baby and then the attorneys would not get their money and the agencies would not get their money and the parents would not get their baby. It's a business. Well, that's something I can somewhat agree with. We would love to see a more streamlined ethical adoption process across the board. Heather says that in SOS, she has seen a lot of awful things being done and it is disheartening to hear. SOS, we have seen attorneys threaten moms um, parents, adoptive parents, threaten moms uh, within their revocation period that they will take them. They will take them to court if you don't, because you owe them two thousand dollars for paying your medal or some expense. That's what these attorneys are doing, and I, and I'm very, I'm going to be very honest. A lot of adoptive parents are doing it. It used to be that um, the adoptive parents and the attorney would fight to keep the baby. Um, when the mom had, okay, so we had one in Georgia. She had 30 days. She was grandfathered in. Um, she had 30 days. Um, her time was coming close. Um, she had like four days left. We were on the ball trying to get attorney letter, letters to the attorney saying, hey, she is revoked. She's revoking. We did everything that we needed to do to let everybody know that she wanted to take her baby home and keep her baby and get her, well, get her baby back, actually, because it was like 20 days. 22 days and 
and they stalled and they stalled and they wouldn't get back to the mom and they wouldn't get back to anybody. And um, we were down to the last day and we had to call another attorney and get them involved. They are, they are doing things even within the revocation period to threaten these mothers to not revoke their TPR in the time being. 99% of the time, these moms are in a crisis with finances and that's why they're giving up their babies. So the other, the other part of SOS, what we're really seeing is we're seeing a lot of moms giving up their babies or feeling like they have to, but it's not their first, it's their second or their third. And the husband has walked out on them. Their husband got laid off and they don't know how they're going to feed the third baby. And instead of those of us, I mean, instead of us walking alongside that mom and dad or mom and not breaking up that family and separating siblings and causing the trauma to the child and to the family, we're willingly walking in the hospital and taking a child from the mother, knowing she doesn't want to give up her baby, but she can't feed the baby. She's feeling like she can't even raise the child without the finances. But we are going to pay $40,000 to the attorney. Adoptive parents are going to pay $30,000 or $45,000 to an attorney when a mom just needs $1,000 to keep her baby. And then the family is intact. So that's what we do at SOS. And that's what my position is. Because every separation of a mother and a child is a trauma to a child for a lifetime and to the mother and to the extended families. And you have two sides of the family. You have the father's side and the mother's side and their lives will never be the same. That child will struggle no matter whether she's in an open adoption or a closed adoption. Her life will be torn in half. Again, I wouldn't say that every adoption is traumatic. I have known and heard too many wonderful stories to ever agree with this statement. But I know there are horrible experiences out there, so I will not take that away from any of these folks either. In my opinion, putting a blanket statement over every adoptee and first family is irresponsible. I'm advocating for open adoption when there's an adoption, but but I wouldn't advocate adoption being good because it's open. I know too much. So that that's why I am for family preservation at every level that we can do until you can't. We're not going to ever stop ad- adoption. I believe that it's always going to be there, but I believe we can do a far better job at creating keeping families together and and helping families stay together, mentoring them. Even as, I mean, I don't know what your faith is as, as a Christian. We should want to do that, keep families together. And we should not have our own desires of needing or wanting a child to interfere in, in what really is the right thing to do. And, and I'm not saying that you did that, but I'm saying that it, when you look at on the internet at everybody who's advertising um, themselves, to get a baby it's and pre-matching is, is a very coercive way to do it you know there's 30 some 36 couples waiting for one baby to be born we just need i would like to change i would like to change from from pro-adoption to pro-family preservation um, and and then adoption will need to happen in certain situations but as far as open adoption it's it's really no better than closed adoption i am not for adoption unless it's totally necessary. Love 
love really isn't enough for an adoptee. Wow. I am really sorry for any adoptee listening to that. It's just really harsh. I just, I can't agree with that, and I never will. Heather mentioned to me that they have a lot of studies and research to back up these claims, but folks keep sweeping it under the rug. I asked to see these studies and the research out there, and she did send me some information that I will add to the episode description as well. However, a lot of it does not pertain to adoption specifically, and more to trauma in general, or to attachment in general, and or it's not an actual scientific study. There was one study sent to me, but it was from the 1960s. Again, I will post all of this so you can see it for yourself. And as we close out part two, I wanted to add Heather's, could you not? I would say the worst thing that someone can tell me (laughs) is that the statement that they say is, I'm sorry that your adoption story turned out like this because there are many that are so good because it invalidates my story. Once again, I don't want to take away from the pain and suffering that these folks went through and go through still today. I hear them and I sympathize and I want to do better as an adoptive mother, an adoption advocate, and as a person who thinks that every story deserves to be told. Once you know better, you have to do better. I also think this goes both ways, though. I would never say all adoptions are beautiful and great and wonderful because I know that that's not close to being true, even though I can also find several articles, podcasts, blogs, and stories to back up how great it is for a lot of people. Just like I think it's unreasonable to say every adoptee is doomed forever. I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. I think both are valid just like every other person's story outside of adoption. I did learn a lot listening to Heather's story, and I'm very glad that she shared her story, specifically for adoptive parents going into adoption. I hope with all of my heart that this doesn't discourage anyone from adopting, but I do hope that it gives you an understanding of how to approach the process as a whole. My biggest takeaway here is going into adopting knowing that and embracing the fact that it is 100% okay for a birth mother to change her mind and feel all of her feels. (laughs) Sure, it's heartbreaking for adoptive parents. That is a fact. But there's no way that a birth mother choosing to parent is wrong. You want to build your forever family on a rock-solid ground, and that begins with the birth mother making an informed, an educated, and an empowered decision that is not based on obligation, coercion, or fear. (sighs) Thank you again for listening. I know this one was a little hard to hear and a little triggering for some, but these stories are important as well. Do you have comments or questions about today's episode? I would love to hear them. Please call and leave a message at 720-722-2839 or find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast. The theme song Forever Home was written and produced by David Other, 
Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, production, and editing of the show is done by me, Amber Way. Tune in next time for another unique story. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. And if you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it. And please rate and review me on iTunes. Hopefully with five stars. Goodbye.